Hello and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today I'm going to be reviewing Once a Witch by Carolyn McCullough and I found this through my usual channels of I was looking for something else and this came up and it was less than three pounds so I bought it. It's quite an unusual story because it's really original which is not something that I found a lot in witch fiction. A lot of it tends to follow the same sort of patterns depending on what kind of witches it's about if it's about Wiccan type witches it tends to follow the same sort of patterns and if it's about fantasy witchcraft it tends to be very similar to other things that I've read previously with the same kind of rules to the magic um, but this one quite surprised me because it kind of jumped out as being original in a lot of ways. Uh, in some others it was a bit predictable in that it was similar to other plot lines that I had read elsewhere but we'll get into that in a minute. So this book is written by Carolyn McCullough and it is the first of two books. Um, the first one is this one, Once a Witch, and the second one, unsurprisingly, is called Always a Witch. Haven't read that one yet, but I have got it on order because this book was so interesting that I thought, you know, I have to read the sequel. And it's not asking me to read like a massively long book. This one only just scraped into 300 pages. It was a really quick read. So I thought, well, I've got time. I'll give the second one a look as well. I read this one yesterday because uh, I actually went up to London to go to the Harry Potter Warner Brothers tour which was very exciting but uh, I had some time on the train so I read most of this book on the way there and on the way back and then I finished it off um, this morning so it was quite a quick read the although it is 300 pages the text is quite a large font and there's quite large spacing between the lines so uh, I think they've pushed it to make it that length it doesn't read like it has you know the word count to be that length which made it a really quick and easy read and quite enjoyable because it's told from the point of view of the central protagonist Tamsin and her voice is refreshingly quite direct and not as anxiety riddled as some of the other uh, young protagonist I think she's meant to be sort of 17 18 so it's not as anxious it's a little bit more spunky than other teen characters in books that I've read chiefly the Circle of Three series and the Wicker series she seems to have her head screwed on straight and to be quite dynamic so she was quite a joy to read and I sped along through it because being in her voice just made the whole thing much better to read and very entertaining so the plot of the book and the kind of law surrounding the witches in it is that Tamsin is from a family who live in a small town and it's like a big extended family lots of uncles who aren't really her uncle and aunts who aren't really her aunts and they all get together in these kind of commune-esque ceremonies it's a big big house and they're all witches and at the age of eight every witch develops their talent which is referred to with a capital T and that is the ability that they have innately that is theirs. So some people, uh, her mother has the ability to teleport and her sister has the ability to compel people with speech. So sort of like a kill grave in um, Jessica Jones. So she can tell people to do things and they just want to obey her. They just want to do what she says. And Tamsin's friend, family friend, Gabriel, who has the talent of being able to find things, he can hear them calling out to him when he's looking for them and he can even travel through time to obtain something that he is looking for which is quite an impressive talent. When Tamsin is born uh, as is mentioned in the prologue her grandmother prophesizes because her grandmother has this power of future sight and also mind reading 
Her grandmother prophesizes that she will be the most powerful witch in their family. And this is a song and dance we've probably heard a lot in teen witch fiction because the protagonist always has to be the special one, the destined one, the most powerful one. But we quickly find out that that is not what happens for poor Tamsin. At the age of eight, she does not develop a talent and proceeds to not develop a talent and to feel very shut out by her family because obviously they have all these magic powers and she's basically just a normal girl. And she goes away to school to a boarding school in New York and she makes human mortal friends and basically just tries to stay away from this town altogether to put it behind her that she is the black sheep of the family. However, she does still have to return sometimes and it's on one of these visits that she's managing her grandmother's bookshop where she meets a man called Alistair Callum who comes in and thinking that she is her sister Rowena asks her to find something for him because that's sort of a family business they do like witch things for people. And she's so flattered by the fact that he has mistaken her for her powerful incredible sister that she finds she can't tell him who she really is and that she can't actually help. But he asked her to find this clock, an antique clock that was lost from his family like a century ago. And she agrees to help him and then enlists her friend Gabriel's help because obviously he's able to find things. So I was already quite intrigued by the plot because it didn't seem to be following the you are the special one narrative because she'd obviously not lived up to that prophecy and didn't feel like she was ever going to. And she's also a little bit kind of kooky. She shows up to her sister's engagement party ritual thing wearing like an old My Little Pony t-shirt and she gets caught smoking and she definitely seems like the the misfit of the family which is preferable I think to that kind of Bella Swan aspect of you know you're just universally accepted and loved by everyone even though you're just kind of a generic girl character so it definitely felt like she had a bit more personality than that and I was kind of keen to see where this was going to go I couldn't see or predict what the plotline was going to do because it was quite dissimilar to other things that I had read the fact that it then went on to involve time travel was an amazing surprise and not something that I had seen again in witchy books. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the time turner in Harry Potter, but obviously it functions very differently. So in the first part of the book, Tamsin is trying to locate this clock and it's only once she has found the clock and they've travelled in time and experienced some very strange things from the point in time where this clock could be pinpointed as existing that she begins to realise that maybe she shouldn't have found the clock and that bad things are now going to happen. I really enjoyed the book. It's, it's very action-packed. Chapters are very quick to unravel and get into the next chapter, so it, it speeds along in quite little chapters, which is a good way to keep pacing up, as I've said before. And it cuts out annoying chapters where nothing happens that you would expect to find so for example there's a point where Tamsin and Gabriel are at her family's house and they decide they have to go back to New York and they have to go back to her dorm and instead of having a chapter which is them in the car rehashing and talking about the plot that has happened so far which is what I expected to be next because that's what a lot of writers would put in the next chapter just starts with them being at the dorm with action happening and I was like oh great I don't have to read a boring chapter where they just talk about feelings or whatever I actually get to see some cool stuff happen there's also some pretty dark stuff in the book specifically the storyline that happens to Tamsin's sister Rowena she gets put under essentially a, a love spell but like a really strong one uh, and is 
compelled to follow this man's bidding and to help him in his plans so that's pretty dark and i'm going to trigger warning that because there's a lot of like creepy stuff going on and that might make people uncomfortable there's a spoiler here because tamsin actually does have a talent and this is revealed about halfway through the book that her talent is being able to negate the talents of others meaning like she can make them not work on her and she is immune to other forms of magic as well like spells and that also if someone continues to use their talent against her like three separate times she can then use that talent back she can mimic it uh, for an unspecified amount of time it's not stated whether this is permanent or whether it's temporary uh, but it kind of seems like it might be permanent so that's pretty cool it's unfortunate that her power is negating other people's powers because this was really familiar to me as someone who'd read the Twilight series. When they travel back in time, a guy tries to hurl a fireball at her and it just sort of dissipates as it gets towards her. And it was at that point that I realised what power she was going to have because obviously I didn't buy the books. Oh no, she didn't have a power thing because that element is quite predictable if someone says oh well, sadly i was the only one who didn't have an ability then you know you know that they're going to have one it's just fate so it reminded me a lot of the twilight thing because if you've read the twilight books like i did when i was a teenager you'll know that some people have like the ghost of a power and when they become a vampire they get stronger and they can use that power a lot so like alice has her future seeing ability and edward has this mind reading ability which doesn't work on Bella and then obviously when Bella becomes a vampire she can project like a bubble of safe space where powers just won't work which is very similar to Tamsin's ability so I kind of saw that coming which isn't to say that it's not an original idea because literally the only thing that it reminded me of was Twilight and from the X-Men so it's not an idea that has been used overly much in particularly witch fiction so I was cool with that overall that was pretty much the only predictable element to the plot everything that I kind of assumed was going to happen didn't happen so for example after Tamsin kind of lies to this guy in the bookshop and says oh yeah I'm Rowena and I can help you I kind of expected that to be a secret that she kept frustratingly for most of the book and that she would eventually be found out and I would have that awful secondhand embarrassment feeling because it stresses me out when people keep secrets for no real reason and create problems for themselves so I was quite surprised when pretty much right after she found the clock, she phones her grandmother and is like, I've done this thing and I feel like it was bad. And I was like, good on you, writer, for not taking the path well travelled and having your characters react in a more sensible way. The climax of the book, like the, the great big showdown at the end, was kind of a bit muddled for me. I find quite a lot of these books, actually, like specifically like supernatural fantasy books, They'll be really well plotted and really well written and it'll kind of lead you this merry dance with clues and insinuations and you'll be working things out about the characters and about the world they live in. And then there'll be this great big showdown at the end, like a fight between the goodies and the baddies or some sort of altercation or magical thing will happen. And that's when the writing becomes quite confused and quite uh, difficult to decipher what's actually happening and why it's happening. And I did find that a little bit with the climax of this book everything up until that point had been quite well explained but after that point I had to go back and reread sections of the book to be like how does what I was told here relate to what happened there and it felt like a bit 
like what happens at the end had happened because the author thought that it would be a cool thing to see or to have the reader imagine and not that it was really in keeping with what we had been told previously about this particular magical device and ritual trying not to give too much away here because it is genuinely a really good story and quite suspenseful and interesting as well so I don't want to give too much away I'm really excited to get the second book the follow-up because obviously it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger so I want to see what happens next I am glad however that it is only two books and I'm hoping the second one doesn't end on a cliffhanger because I don't really see this being able to sustain a whole series but two books about it is probably enough and about the length that it takes to explore the ideas that have been raised in it. I'd recommend this pretty heavily, especially if you're the kind of person who doesn't normally read like fantasy witch fiction. I tend to be more of a fan of magical realism than I am of fantasy fiction. But what I liked about this was obviously it's very strong fantasy witchcraft. There's very little about actual paganism or Wicca or actual witchcraft in it. But the way that the characters are created and the voice specifically of Tamsin, who's like the narrating character, are so down to earth and so practical that to a certain extent it sort of feels like you are reading magical realism. It doesn't have these sort of raven-haired, violet-eyed beauties who kind of have all these powers and just kind of take it for granted and don't really seem like real people which is what really puts me off fantasy fiction the characters tend to be a little bit wishy-washy and a bit wish fulfillment but Tamsin definitely has flaws and she definitely responds to things like a normal person would so it's really easy to root for her to get on her side I feel about her the same way I feel about uh, Paige Winterburn sort of from the Kelly Armstrong magic series so if you like that you'll definitely like this and I would definitely give it a go because it explores some interesting things that I hadn't seen in other books chiefly time travel and how that affects future sight and the predicted future and also about how being a character with magical powers versus a character who is expected to have magical powers but doesn't relate because you end up with this interesting section with these interesting sections of Tamsin's personality where she is both reacting to something Thing as someone who now has these incredible magic powers but also as someone who has had to live most of their life not knowing that they had a talent and feeling ashamed that they were untalented and normal so I feel like that is the big reason that she stays more grounded and down to earth which makes it an interesting story to read because she's not just using magic to solve all her problems she's also trying to use more human skills like logic and planning critical thinking and trying to outsmart her enemies in a more human way I'm going to read you just like the prologue bit just to give you uh, an idea of the voice of the character and a little bit of her history as well. I was born on the night of Samhain when the barrier between the worlds is whisper thin and when magic, old magic, sings its heady and sweet song to anyone who cares to hear it. All night my mother struggled and when she finally heaved me into the world my grandmother hovered over me, twisting her fingers in arcane shapes, murmuring in a language only she knew. What is it? my mother gasped, turning her face against the lavender-scented pillow. What's wrong? Finally, my grandmother answered, her voice full and triumphant. Your daughter will be one of the most powerful we have ever seen in this family. She will be a beacon for us all. I always wonder how my older sister Rowena, who had been allowed into the room, reacted to that statement. 
No one thought to check that part of the story, but I really would have relished the one moment when I, and not Rowena, was the sun and the moon and the stars combined. They say I never cried at birth, never made a sound, but opened my eyes immediately and regarded them all with a calm and quiet gaze. As if she's seen so much already, my mother whispered, touching my fingers and then my face. Well, if I had seen anything, I've long since forgotten what it was, and as for what my grandmother promised, that's been forgotten too. Or not forgotten, but definitely scrapped. Even now, 17 years later, I still catch my mother's gaze lingering on me, and I just know she's pondering how she managed to lose the child she'd been promised and gain me instead. I also wonder if my grandmother ever recalls the echo of her words, one of the most powerful, a beacon, doubtful. The story was told so many times in eager anticipation up until my eighth birthday. Then the whole family gathered and sang, while my mother lit the eight golden tapers to represent the four elements in the four directions. Then they watched me, some openly, some furtively. And what did I do? Nothing. At all. Nothing that I was supposed to do, anyway. After a while, I got tired of everyone staring at me, and then at one another, so I went around blowing out all the candles, taking comfort in the dimness as I ate my way through two large pieces of sugar-sweet birthday cake. Eventually, everyone trickled home. I come from a family of witches. Each and every member of my family, down to my youngest cousin, manifests his or her particular talent without fail, just before, and certainly no later than, the age of eight. Except for me. Nine years have passed since that birthday, and I have nothing to show for it. Not a drop, not half a drop, not even a quarter of a half of a half drop of magic runs through my apparently very pedestrian veins. As for what my grandmother said about me, one of the most powerful, a beacon, etc, etc, etc. All this goes to show that contrary to popular belief, even the oldest and wisest of witches can be dead wrong. Definitely give Once a Witch a look. You can buy it from Amazon or eBay, whichever is your preference. And I don't know if you can still buy it, like new copies of it because it came out in 2009, but have a look online as well to see if you can still get it new and obviously benefit the author because She's written these two books and I think three others, so she's not like an astoundingly prolific or popular author. So it's always nice to support people who haven't, you know, published J.K. Rowling rings of novels and who probably haven't made their millions from their writing career just yet. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember, you can get in touch on Twitter at Witchfix and my email, which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com. You can also donate to my Patreon. If you check the description for this episode, you'll find a link to that. And also where you can buy my book Wayward for 99p or Dead to Rights, which is my lesbian witch detective novel for also 99p on the Kindle. In the meantime, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.